Readings this morning. The Old Testament, Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. The river from the temple. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and held me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From Engedi to Eglan, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Um, sorry. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. New Testament, we're in John 7, verses 37 through 52. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. 
Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Thank you. I'm good. I've got this thing. Thanks, Maureen. Good morning. It's good to be back. And um, a nice time away. Uh, really, we didn't go away. We just sort of spent some days um, out by the coast, enjoying the uh, beautiful parts of this island. You've been enjoying this, uh, this time together. You know, do you love the Word of God? Sometimes you just want to sit and listen to the Word of God. Do you love the Word that became flesh, Jesus? Jesus, you are my rescue, we've sung. He's the rescuer, the savior, the healer, the deliverer. I'll give you everything that I am. Do you like that too? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you want more? Last uh, Sunday, Tish so, spoke so well, and one of the things she talked about was this idea of becoming something I've referenced. And I want to think, I want us to think about that again in light of this passage from John 7, and in light of God's desire for us in a way to nurture a heart flowing in the love and life of the Trinity. Do we have a heart that flows with the life of God? Are we in the river versus the marshes? Don't want to be in the marshes. We want to be in the river. Some things that spoke to me through this passage, first and foremost, was the courage of Christ. You know, we, we often put him on a pedestal, and it's appropriate that we do at one level. But as a man, he shows immense courage for our sakes. Actually, at the beginning of this chapter, we started in verse 37, says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. That's in the north of, the, of uh, Israel. Jerusalem's in the south. For he did not want to walk in Judea. Judea's uh, the area within which Jerusalem is. Why? Because the Jews sought to kill him. He didn't want to go to, to the festival because they want to kill him there. Because it was the Feast of Tabernacles that was at hand. So he said, you go up to this feast, verse 8. I am not yet going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. And when he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Next thing, he was in the middle of the festival. That takes courage. Would you be courageous to stand when your life depended upon it? This is, this is beautiful imagery with a story. Some of you will be familiar. The Feast of Tabernacles is where they celebrated their wilderness wanderings. And they literally built tents, tabernacles, and for a week lived, but they remembered what they had gone through as a people, not themselves, that, you know, this time, but they're remembering as a people they were led out of captivity, and they were celebrating what God had done. But they were also remembering this prophetic word from Ezekiel about this river that is going to flow from the tabernacle, from the, the altar, from the place where God chose to put his name. And every Festival of tabernacles, 
they would enact this prophecy. It was a seven days of celebration, but on the final day, they would actually go to the pool of Siloam, which was built one time, I think it was Hezekiah, wasn't it, when Jerusalem was being invaded, and he redirected the spring of Gihon, is it? Anyway, and he created a pool of Siloam, and it was provision of water for life. But they would go down to the pool, and they would, they would fill up water jars, and they would process and march up to the temple, and they would literally pour out this water as they're singing and celebrating, so that it would literally flow down out from the tabernacle, from the tent, from the, from the temple as it was then. And they would do that seven times. And this is an extraordinary sense of anticipation. And it's into the midst of that Jesus stands, the one they want to crucify eventually. And he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is shocking, people. This is courageous. Because he's saying, it's no longer about the temple. It's about me. The source of life is no longer the temple, a building. It's me, the word that became flesh, God himself. This is what I want to do. Jesus disturbed the established order. I remember feeling I was disturbing a little bit of the established order in Jericho Road when I first came. We don't like disturbance, do we? Let's be honest. Strange. Many were frightened to take their stand with him, even his closest followers. Yeah, come to Jerusalem, Jesus. Let people hear your message, and we'll stand off to the side and make sure that people don't realize we're with you. I wonder if it was easier for the poor, the lame, the crippled, the lepers to stand with him because they had nothing to lose. They were already excluded. And there's some reality, it takes hunger, it takes thirst. But also there's this sense of, are we feeling bold? Are we willing to take our stand? Are we willing to open our mouths? Are we willing when appropriate to speak? Once I was in the early days of church, I'm, I'm preaching a message and I'm kind of fully into this, I'm sort of in Mike's flow. You know what that's like. And um, a woman in the church, I can still see it, I can still see her down and where she was sitting, she sort of very gingerly sort of got to her feet and stood up. And she kind of got my attention, obviously, because I was mid-sermon, and she said, um, I think I have something to say to you, Mike, which was a bit odd. <laughs> I'm not suggesting this as a pattern. However, <laughs> what she said to me was even more shocking because she said, be quiet. <laughs> that kind of that kind of rocked me a little bit but you know i did we got quiet we got down on our knees and we listened now i i knew this lady she was not of a habit to do these kind of things it took she she'd been wrestling with this because we went and had lunch afterwards for the whole of the time up till then she was kind of sweating she was agitated she was anxious but she couldn't get this and she had the courage to stand and speak. And it led to the Lord doing some amazing things amongst us. 
our, our courage to stand, to be known, to be stand alongside, to be recognized as one of his in our community opens the doors for the river to continue to flow. But it will take courage. And I think there are, there are turning points in our lives. There are moments when something of the reality of God and his love and his utter compassion for and his desire for not just us, but all of the people of this earth causes us to, to stop and stand and perhaps change, to reorient ourselves, that that would be a, a turning point, that we would leave behind some of our own more selfish agendas and preferences for the sake of him. Recently we were reading in, in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John have been put in prison. They're miraculously delivered by angels. The authorities don't know what's going on. They find them, they're back preaching, the very thing that they've been arrested for doing in the first place. But their prayer was, Lord, consider their threats, but enable your servants to continue to preach the message with boldness. And they did. And the place was shaken. I want to be a part of bold believers who shake the place they're in because God is with us and we're sold out for him. And we're not cowering and hiding for God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power. Secondly, as well as the courage, we've got this call of Christ, this invitation. If anyone is thirsty, all are welcome, as we like to say on the Jericho Road. Of course, the invitation is to all. If anyone is thirsty, but there's a qualification, are you thirsty? It's hard to hear the call if we're, if we're self-satisfied. But let him come to me and drink, regardless of where we've come from, regardless of our life story, regardless of what we have done, regardless of how we see ourselves and how bad and disqualified we feel we are. Just talking yesterday, I think, with people who's we're, we're talking about inviting someone to church, and the response was, am I allowed? Sad to hear that, isn't it? Anyone. Oh, are welcome. But note in this, as much about us and the invitation to us, is the heart of God. He is thirsty for his people. He is hungry for us to know and to receive his gift of life. He longs to free the captives. He has always been about that, irrespective of our indifference to him and our rebellion against him. Yet his heart burns and yearns as a father for his children. Hallelujah. And this Feast of Tabernacles was about deliverance from captivity in Egypt. But it led them into a precarious time as a nation. They're wondering at first, they think they're going to be recaptured by the Egyptians. Why didn't we stay where we were? Again and again, they see God's miraculous hand, but they're afraid. And they fail to put their trust in him. But nevertheless, throughout their repeated failures, God continues to guide and provide. He guides them through the pillar of cloud by day and Fire by night. Can you imagine? You're on a hike and there's this pillar of fire in front of you. I can't imagine that. But I, I long for more of that. It represents the Holy Spirit, you see, with them, among them. Isaiah helps us with that. And we see that opened up more in the New Testament. 
He gives them food every day. They don't know what it is, so they call it, what is it? That's what manna means, what is it? You see, there's mystery with the workings of God. We don't figure it all out. We're not meant to. We're meant to trust in our, our good Father who knows us and loves us. Their shoes didn't wear out. I remember my dad saying to me when I'm in school and going through shoes about every three to six months, I'm going to get you a pair of hobnail boots. <laughs> Frustrated with having to keep buying his shoes. Their shoes over 40 years didn't wear out. And even when they're thirsty, God provides from the rock. And he says to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together and speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. God's heart is not even just for the people, but for livestock. Don't you love that? Because his heart is for all of his created order. Now Moses struck the rock and he got into trouble for it. Because we can't take we can't take credit for this. This is God's work. It's miraculous. And the message of the gospel is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the unbeliever. We are all here because of a miracle if we're in Christ and have received the Spirit. And God's heart yearns and breaks for those who don't yet know him. And he continues to pour himself out through those who are thirsty. But to align with Jesus is a dangerous pathway. As we were saying yesterday, the Jericho Road is lined with blood. Blood. It's costly. It costs how much? Everything. You want to rescue? Everything. My hope is in you. Everything is guaranteed. But for now, I'm yours. Take me and use me. This is the call. that lovely thing in Narnia there's this question about Aslan the lion is he safe no he isn't safe goodness me the lion isn't safe but he is good he's the king God is good but he's not safe he's the lion of the tribe of Judah the Jesus way is not a safe way, but it is a good way. Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them come and die. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. We must beware of what Tish made reference to in terms of the half in, half out. Are we straddling the fence? A little bit into the church thing, a little bit into the world thing. That's a dangerous place to be in. When Israel entered the land and experienced more of the blessing and the fullness of what God wanted to give them as his people, they entered a land that was full of idol worship and mixed cultures. And it changed things. They were distracted. They were seduced by riches and physical things. Power. They forgot God. And they paid a price. Let us beware of thinking we don't run the same risk today. God has not changed. He's just continually more generous. Yeah. 
We're meant to remember what he has done, just as Israel invites you to remember the, the deliverance from Egypt and the provision through their wilderness wanderings, the, the Feast of Tabernacle. We, through our sacraments of Holy Communion, remember what Christ did through his own body and blood upon a cross. He initiated a new covenant for relationship and friendship with us. And through the sacrament of baptism, this week, a few of us got to go on a somewhat rainy day on Thursday down to the river and baptize Rye and Dvorak. It's one of the most exciting things to do, even in a cooler, fast-flowing river that I got to taste. But you know, as I said to the folk gathered there, this is to remember our own baptism. We are here through death and resurrection. We're here through Christ and his cross and his call to come and drink. As we are to remember that this is not a once-only deal. Yes, we're baptized by one spirit into one body, but we're also given that same one spirit to drink. Are you drinking? Are you taking a deep slope of the spirit? If not, why not? you think you don't need him? Oh my goodness. What God is calling us to as a people is beyond us without the fullness, without this flow of the Spirit. We need one another. We need an experience of community that is profoundly the love of God being expressed among us because it's the flow of the Trinity. Our community is meant to reflect and be a part of the Trinity, the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one given for the glory of another without taking credit, one submitted to another. You see why Paul was so excited about that? Because that's what we're meant to be like with one another. And certainly we're not meant to be fighting and backbiting and gossiping. We're meant to be believing the best, building one another up, speaking only words that encourage and edify. Otherwise, we'll be in the marshes. But it's only the burdened, you see. It's only the hungry. It's only those who are thirsty, who are asking, who recognize their emptiness without him, who receive and discover this immense love of God in Christ Jesus and his deep longing to comfort and fill you and provide you all that you need for life. So this message brought division then, as we read in our passage, and it brings division still. So we've got the courage of Christ, we've got the call of Christ, but we've also got the commission of Christ. To come to him is not an end in itself. It has purpose and it brings meaning. For out of their heart, he said, will flow rivers of living water. You see, to drink of the river of life, to receive from the Godhead, the fullness of the Holy Spirit means there is a river in you to be released. You know, it's true in the natural, when we drink a lot, something has to be released. Well, it's kind of like that, but it's not like that. Because what comes out is meant to be different. And to be him. Remember I talked a while back about when we're pricked, what comes out. To drink or eat from Jesus, in John 6, the previous chapter, he's talked about, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's kind of graphic language. But, it's, but it means to, to receive from him, 
to receive his word, to receive life through love, to trust him, who's, who is who he says that he is. And therefore, we can abide by what he says. We can remain and rest in his truth, his teaching, his way. Because the Jericho Road and the Jericho Road way and whatever we call it is not our way. If it's our way, it's leading to marshes and death. But if it's his way, it also has death in it, but it brings life. But it's only by his way, through his spirit. So we've got to receive that. Are you hungry for his teaching? Are you hungry for his written word? Are you hungry for engagement with him through the spirit and through fellowship and through the blessings that come from one another? It's those who are thirsty that shall be filled. He longs to liberate you and I. We, we think we've been liberated in one sense. We have because we've been given everything. But this journey whilst we're upon the earth is to grow in our freedom, is to take hold of our new identity as children of God and to live out of that reality. You see, the moment we turn to Christ, the greatest gift of God is that we are what the Bible calls justified, just as if I'd never sinned, restored to sonship and daughtership. I'm a child of God. I'm the beloved. I am free. I am one with him. I have an eternity that is awaiting me. All of that is set and established and cannot be taken from me unless I throw it away. And we've got to learn to live out of that place, and yet we struggle, don't we? Well, what helps us believe it is when we love one another. Because the only reason we struggle is because of a lack of love. Both in our past and our present. The only reason people are not flocking to the church is because of a lack of love in the church, I believe. Because this river brings life. This river bring, brings healing every month, continually. I want to be baptizing people every month. In winter, we might do it differently, but we need to be doing it every month. Don't you want that? Are you hungry for that? Are you praying for that? Are you believing God is going to cause you to lead somebody to that place? You get to baptize them. You can do the winter ones, I'll do the summer ones. How's that? But for us to be free and for our identity be affirmed in him, we've got to become. This was the message Tish was sharing. This is the message of the gospel. To become isn't all about us. To become is to realize it's my life is now hid with Christ in God. I am not my own. I've been bought at a price. Why am I trying to protect myself? Why am I worried about who I am? You're not your own. You see, we get deceived. And we get brought down. And we find ourselves in the marshes. We become like him as we give ourselves away for him. To one another. Last week, Brad was talking about the wedding, celebrating that, and we were sharing again yesterday, and it just touched me to hear a dad talk about his sense of delight and pride in his son who couldn't do enough for him and for his sister. And I think there's something of the fatherhood of God when he sees us as his children, we just can't do enough for us brothers and sisters and for our Father in heaven. That's where that comes from. And we saw a snapshot, a picture of this reality. And when you give yourself away, 
the Father delights and he pours more into you. See, we sit waiting until we've got enough to feel like we can step out and do something. But it doesn't work like that. It's as we go. As we give. As you go, make disciples. As you go, I'll be with you. As you go, you'll see my power at work. There's a great prayer I like out of the prayer book. And it's in the communion service, and it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And within that prayer, we would pray these words. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. May we who drink his cup bring life to others. May we whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Isn't that beautiful? We need to be reminded that's the call, that's the commission. To receive of the Spirit is to become a dispenser of the Spirit. To receive grace is to become a grace giver. To receive mercy is to become merciful. Why are you holding on to unforgiveness? Don't you know where that's going to take you? Don't you know the Spirit cannot abide in that place? Don't you know the Father's grieved over that because he wants something better for you? To come to Jesus means to give ourselves to this personal, heart-to-heart, intimate, close relationship with him. And by definition, that means with others upon the earth. And this living water is the flow of life from us, among us. We see it in the Trinity. And I want to see it in the families that we become, not just nuclear families, but the family of God, the communities I believe God is looking to establish as households come together and we begin to express what it means to live as the Trinity upon the earth. Let your kingdom come here in my house, Lord. Let my neighbors see it. Let them come and taste and see that the Lord is good because some of that goodness is flowing from me out of your belly. Out of the, the heart of who you are will flow rivers of living water. You have something to give that is miraculous. Jesus was no different. At one level, he's a man. Jesus of Nazareth, in whom dwelt the Spirit of God. Greater works, he says, shall you do, because I'm going to the Father, so you can have the Spirit, and the flow will be multiplied. It's not just the one or two. It's all of you. When we, you know, I talk about these relational needs, I'm going to continue to talk about When we accept one another, when we receive as we are, faults and all, rather than point out the faults, we affirm them that you belong, and we're glad you're here, because we've all got faults, and we're all here by grace. When we encourage one another, when we think and we're meeting with people, and our thought is not, what can I get out of this? But how can we speak and give and touch this person's life in a way that encourages them, that lifts them, that helps them believe that this is true? When we comfort one another, when we feel each other's pain, when we weep together, feel the sadness, and meet each other in that rich, sacred place, the river is flowing. When we serve one another and support each other and bear one another's burdens, the river is flowing. This is us. This is our call. This is the mystery once hidden, now revealed. God choosing to pour himself out through us the indwelling spirit, which becomes a key to life for all of creation. I love how that prophetic word in Ezekiel gets wrapped up at the end of the book of Revelation, because it's one story that's being worked out here. Don't, don't get too distracted by this idea of one God of the old and one God of the new. No, same. It's a lovely story. Yeah, why not? So, we're back in Genesis. 
you know, God has called Abraham. And he struggles to live into his identity, doesn't he? He lies about his wife. He kind of plays the, well, are you really going to give me a son or not? Let me go and figure that out and get with my maidservant. All of that kind of stuff. But God remains faithful. And he has Isaac. And Isaac grows up and he's no better. He's just like him. God has blessed him with favor in the land. And still he's lying about his wife because he's afraid. The river's not flowing. And God continues to bless him. And it's the fascinating thing that Isaac gets a revelation. He says, I need to go back and I need to redig the wells that my father Abraham dug. Because there is a flow that is available. And the flow has been, the, the, the wells have been filled in by the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God. They were against the covenant people. And you know, we have an adversary who is against us, and he causes us to fill our wells and to stop the flow. And when we hold on to our stuff, when all we can think about is who we're angry with and who we're upset by and what we're anxious about that's going to happen, and we're living out of our pain rather than out of God's provision, the wells get filled up, the flow stops. But God, once we're enemies, but God, God never gives up. But it has to be his way. And I love how Isaac goes and reopens the wells and the water starts to flow and the people start arguing with him. He said, well, we need that water. And rather than fighting them, he goes and digs another one. You see, let's not fight. Let's just go and release the source. And God provides an abundance and he blesses him even more. You see, such is the desire of the Father to release his blessing upon the earth is he uses broken people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Bill and Carol and Maureen and Ev and John and Frank and Walt and Carol and Mike and Jesus. We stand in that lineage. Our hope is in that same truth. And the spirit of truth is our life. So let's drink. Let's stand. I want to pray.